Hello and welcome back to the Firestarters Podcast. I am Colin, here with Joe. Yes, sir! Today we've got sophomore slumps and jumps. Let's chop it up. Welcome to episode 4 of the Firestarters Podcast. It is... Thursday, August 12th at 9.22 p.m. Joe, what's cracking? Uh, well, I watched a lot of Summer League lately. Can't get enough of basketball. But in more important news, we got preseason football going on. And it is starting to get close, you know what I'm saying? So, to uh, kick things off, we better uh, start talking about some recent news. So, we've got... Carson Wentz, he's got the bad foot. Uh, all reports now is look like he's trending toward playing week one. This is a this is a weird injury because they're like, yeah, it's going to be five to 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, trending towards playing week one when they were planning on playing like Sam Ellinger for a couple weeks. So that's a nice turn of events for the Colts. But with Carson Wentz, what else would you expect? He <laughs> seems to be hurt. He seems to be made of glass, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can really go out there or if he's getting rushed back, and then all of a sudden, like a foot injury especially, you don't want to rush a foot injury. Yeah, that's you're right, and the same thing happened with Quentin Nelson, which is his teammate, who had a similar injury, and they're saying he's trending towards playing week one as well, so I, I don't know what they're doing over in Indianapolis. Well, it's going to have a big effect on Either way, whether he's playing or not. So, in other news, you've got the Michael Thomas saga going on with the Saints. Is he happy with them? Is he mad at them? Nobody knows. Apparently, he sent out a heated tweet directed toward him. But I can't blame him. He doesn't know who he's got as a quarterback. It should be James Winston, in my opinion. I agree. But, but you know, Sean Payton's got a taste Hill fetish. But I think it's an interesting case, considering he missed so much time last year. So people are kind of down on him already. So this is the time to buy low on Michael Thomas. As you did recently. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, apparently they had a productive meeting today. And uh, Michael Thomas was liking tweets that had to do with him being misunderstood in this whole Michael Thomas saga because apparently he thinks that the Saints forced him to play through his injury and then the Saints got upset with him for not getting surgery sooner. So it's just a mess of a situation in New Orleans with that. And like at first it was like it sounded like they're on the same page. Like, oh, he, he talked to them, and they're like, yeah, try to rehab it first, hold off on the surgery, and then all of a sudden it was, get the surgery, and then the next thing you're hearing is, he ignored a trainer for three months. So again, it's you, you, we don't know what the real story is, but either way, when he comes back, I, he's still a really good receiver, he's got really good hands, and hopefully Jameis Winston's throwing him the ball a lot. Yeah, because Marquez Callaway is getting all the hype right now, and that's how you can tell that Michael Thomas will be walking into a 
lot of production. If uh, you're like, oh, the cupboard is empty. Oh, oh no, here here's something that I can eat. This <laughs> this is my 35 year old kimchi that was in the back of the cupboard. I, I didn't realize this was there, and that's your Marquez Callaway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not, not not the household name. And no. you thought last year when Michael Thomas was out that whether it was him, Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris, you thought one of those guys was going to be seeing a lot of production, and it just never folded out until Thomas came back. But again, you had the Drew Brees injury, so you had some Teddy Bridgewater in there, and it was all weird. Or No, that was two years ago. Yeah, we, Who, we who filled in last year? Taysom and Jameis. Oh, that's... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, well, you, had the, you had the Taysom Hill weeks. Got a little bit of a oh. sneak preview of what's to come this year. Yep. They'll just split them. They'll split them even. <laughs> you know, with, with Sean Payton, I wouldn't be surprised because that seems like that's what he wants to do. I was watching uh, the top ten highlights from every team uh, earlier today, and the Saints ones came on, and Taysom Hill did a wide receiver reverse to Jameis, who threw a touchdown to Traquan Smith, I believe. And I was like, oh, this is going to be gross. It's going to be like NFL Street. (laughs) Uh, In other news, another injured wide receiver, we got Rashad Bateman, who was a promising rookie who was looking to walk into a bunch of targets for the Ravens and be Lamar's number one wide receiver. Apparently he was looking really good in camp and he was the best offensive playmaker while Lamar was out with COVID. So it's, it's a real hit for them. They're saying he'd come back early September. It's a groin injury. He needs surgery. So hopefully they don't rush him back and take a kind of careful long-term approach. Uh, What do you think about this? It's kind of interesting to think that he could be able to come back in September especially with a deep tissue injury. Uh, I, I don't know how groins relate to a hamstring, but, you know, a hamstring can linger for months and leave a guy out. And, the, and especially if you need surgery on it, just I'm a little skeptical on that timetable that they're given. I I wouldn't plan for him to be back anytime in September, even though that's what they're saying. Yeah, especially with a the groin, they're... If, if it's still hurting him when he comes back, then you're going to overcompensate and get other soft tissue injuries like a hamstring or something in the quad or anything like that. And you don't want him hampered all season in his rookie year with injuries. That that wouldn't be a good start to a career. Yeah, anything deep tissue, it kind of snowballs. And that's, that's what you seem like with a guy like Clay Thompson. He's trying to come back too early. And then, boom, there goes another... Uh, ligament so it's like you got to be careful with stuff like that and it's it's one of those things that you don't want to bring a guy back until they're 95 to 100 percent because anything earlier than that it could get tweaked it could get strained again or you could tear something else which is exactly what the giants are doing with saquon because they're kind of taking the long-term look with him and it's it's a good thing for dynasty managers to see that they're not rushing him back and like forcing him to play because he is their like franchise cornerstone. They don't really have a quarterback that can claim that spot. 
So I, I'm happy to see that they're kind of bringing him back at a good pace and waiting until he feels 100% comfortable and healthy before they bring him back on the field behind that awful offensive line. Yeah, I think it's a smart move. That's another situation that'll be interesting to see who steps in week one uh, to fill those carries. I know they have Devontae Booker, but I can tell you. Corey Clement. There you go. Former Wisconsin Badger. (laughs) We know know someone who will be jumping at the bit to pick him up. It's true. It's true. The homer picks are real. But other than that, I can't think of any other news and notes. Yeah, nothing too crazy. We had uh, Tua versus Justin Fields intra-squad scrimmage today. Apparently both quarterbacks looked really good. It doesn't really mean a whole lot in training camp. Other than that, I, I haven't seen anything worth noting. Well, with that, let's get into these sophomore slump or jumps. So the first player I have listed is the number one pick of last season quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow. I, I gave Joe Burrow a jump. He finished last year as the QB 25. Uh, in 10 games, he averaged 16.8 fantasy points per game. He had a 13 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, he never threw more than one interception a game, and he had relatively high volume. Um, so I thought that was pretty impressive. You'd probably see that number improve they drafted an offensive lineman which is good and he's got really good skill players around him not to mention they're going to be throwing a lot so for a quarterback obviously if you're throwing a lot granted higher percentage of throwing an interception but it's all coming back in the stats and bro looked pretty good last year for having such a suspect offensive line and bringing a guy like jamar chase still having t higgins you know, Uncle, Uncle Joe, you know, going to keep that <laughs> offense moving. So I, I, I think Burrow's primed to make a jump in his sophomore season. Yeah, um, last year he averaged the third most attempts per game at 40.4 pass attempts per game. Uh, he has the projected 30th ranked offensive line. Last year he was pressured on 24.1% of his dropbacks. Yikes. But yeah, like you said, he had those 13 pass touchdowns. He had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, He had basically 270 passing yards per game, which was eighth in the NFL. And I mean, you can only hope that he had improved and he just needs to get some trust in that knee again. Uh, He tore four ligaments and that was like... 10 months ago so it it's gonna be a little bit of a process getting that knee back under him i have him dropping down in a little bit of a slump next year just because a year after that debilitating of a knee injury it's hard to get back to like elite quarterback play which is what he was producing in the 10 games that he was healthy so you're going with slump i think i think there's overall slump yes okay our other sophomore quarterback, a lot of training camp hype around Tua Tungavailoa. What do you got for him? I, I gave Tua a jump also. Finished last year as the QB 32 in 2020. Averaged 13.24 fantasy points per game in 
another guy that played only 10 games last year. Touchdown to interception ratio was 11 to 5, uh, similar to Burroughs. Um, and from what you've been hearing uh, from the Dolphins, is that he's been improving on his deep ball throw, uh, which is big for him because he was really using intermediate and short routes last year. And he really didn't throw that often in games. They did not give him the keys to the car and let him chuck it 60 times per game like they're letting Joe Burrow once in a while. So we got that going. And then his skill players, I would say, improved. Uh, You bring in Jalen Waddell, who they have that college connection. And then you bring in a guy like Will Fuller, who is just fantastic down the field when he can be on the field. So I think Tua's numbers will improve this year. And I think having a coaching staff that is behind him will give him that mindset that he's not going to get pulled from a game if he makes a mistake, which is kind of what you've seen last year. They had Fitzmagic ready right there that at any point Tua could be looking over the sideline and wondering, oh, is, is am I getting pulled? Why am I getting pulled? What's happening type of thing? So I think that's going to be good for him. Absolutely. Uh, just elaborate. He had 29 attempts per game over his 10 games that he played, which was 38th in the NFL. So he really wasn't throwing the ball very much. And I think he had one of the lowest depth of targets in the league, which was really good for Miles Gaskin owners in PPR leagues. He had 181 yards per game which was 42nd in the NFL. I think there's only upward trajectory for Tua. He's got a year in the NFL where he could kind of get his feet under him and learn the game and feel more confident in his body because that hip dislocation was ugly. And I don't think he was ready to come back when he did. And it seemed like he was kind of thrown in, thrown to the wolves. He played Aaron Donald the first week that he played. And so I I think the only way to go is up. I see a big jump for Tua. If that deep ball can get going with Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle and Albert Wilson, and then he's still got Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki and even Preston Williams showed flashes. I mean... It could be a deep room there and a lot of help for Tua. So I, I'm excited to see this sophomore jump. All right, so I think that is it for quarterbacks. Yeah, we're going to skip our guy Justin Herbert because I think we're both pretty solid that he's excellent at football. And so after winning rookie of the year, we're, we're just going to leave that one alone. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a given. He's going to be good again. We can move on to running backs now. This was touted as a really good running back class. Had our high ADP guys with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and then Antonio Gibson and James Robinson kind of came out of the woodwork. We'll start with the guy that was going 101 in rookie drafts last year, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. What do you see out of him from a slump or jump standpoint? I think Clyde will get a jump in 2021. 
Uh, last year, he finished as the RB21 in standard leagues and 22 in PPR. He only had four rushing touchdowns. So that's something that you'll most likely see go up. I know that Chiefs offense is much more centered on the pass, having Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey. But other than that, he had a 4.44 yards per carry. Um, he did miss a few games toward the end of the season, uh, but he was back in the playoffs. And you'd really expect him to keep seeing the work in the passing game like he did last year. I know they brought in Jarek McKinnon as a primary, or he's a primarily a receiving running back, but I can't see them going away from Clyde. Like bringing McKinnon in as a, as a third down back, I really don't see it necessary. Uh, Clyde showed all the tools in the passing game that he's a very capable receiver. Yeah, I think McKinnon being brought in is kind of just a depth piece just for like a security blanket in case of injuries or rest or anything that's necessary. But you don't take a guy in the first round if you don't plan on using him. So, yeah, Clyde taken with the 32nd pick last year. Uh, He had 803 rushing yards, which, I mean, is solid because people talk about him like he had a bad year last year. But really, he was the lead back on the Chiefs and the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. So he's not going to have a crazy amount of rushing, but the Chiefs offense has only supported two fantasy relevant guys outside of Mahomes with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So I will be very interested to see if Clyde can get some work in the passing game because he had those 36 receptions. He only had 297 receiving yards, He had 8.3 yards per catch, which was fifth among all running backs. So that's a good sign. But I would like to see him run some more routes because it seemed like coming out of LSU, he was an excellent route runner. He has great hands and he can make people miss after the catch. And so we all assumed, oh, he's going to the Chiefs. Yep, he's going to get a ton of targets and he's going to be a menace after the catch but it just seems like Travis Kelsey kind of owns that short and intermediate passing game so we'll see if Clyde can get involved in that but I can see them using the running game a little more so I can definitely see Clyde making a jump here because they do need to establish a run game as much as they don't think they need to it'll help Mahomes it'll help their passing game It'll help Tyreek Hill get open. I mean, football starts by beating people up in the trenches, and the best way to do that is to have a solid run game. I think Andy Reid knows that. I think Patrick Mahomes knows that. So I I can see them pushing a stronger run-heavy offense. I don't know if heavy is the right word, but definitely a more run-focused offense where they can kind of feed Clyde a little more. And that's what that's what they did to start last year. I mean, they came out the gates against Houston. He had 25 attempts for 138 yards and a touchdown. And then after that, he only seen 20 carries two more times. And that was both in the first six games. The offense kind of shifted for some reason. Uh, I, I don't really remember what forced him out, uh, what his injuries were late in the season. Uh, but he did miss three games, week 13 and then 16, 17. So, like, those first six weeks, he was spectacular. Uh, double-digit PPR points, 
every week. So I, I think as long as he's healthy and he's staying on the field, that offense is more than able to support another high caliber fantasy relevant player. Yeah, so we both got Clyde taking a jump going into year two. I mean, more comfortable in the offense, more comfortable in the NFL. It feels like it just makes sense. Uh, we'll move on to the second running back drafted in the 2020 class, and that is DeAndre Swift in Detroit. Well, thinking about Swift, just thinking about him, I was like, it's got to be a jump guy. He's going to be getting the cowbell roll. For cowbell. <laughs> the bell cow roll. <laughs> um, they, they don't have AP. Uh, they bring in Jamal Williams, who is a good backup back. We touched on that a couple weeks ago. And so I was like, this dude's got to be a jump. Uh, but then as I start looking at the numbers, uh, I'm going slump. Uh, he finished as the RB20 in standard last year, RB18 in PPR. And he, he had a pretty strong finish to the year. He had four touchdowns in his last four games. Turned out a 15, a 22.2, a 9, and a 16. Uh, but he only had 15 touches per game in those four games. That was when you're seeing the most consistency. Uh, they have an entire new coaching staff. Dan Campbell is a loon. And this team's not going to be very good. So the game script's going to be pushing away from the run game. They're probably not going to be scoring a lot of points. And Goff, passing to running backs in his career, he only passes to him 14% of the time, which is pretty awful <laughs> compared to Stafford, who was, I think Stafford's around 24, 25%. So if he's not producing in the receiving game, I don't know if he's going to be getting double-digit high-teen carries all too often. DeAndre Swift only started four games last season. Uh, it was a lot of Adrian Peterson last year. And no wonder why they got a new coaching staff. Yeah. Um, he had 521 rushing yards. He had eight rushing touchdowns, which I was surprised by because I can't remember a single one, but uh, I stayed away from Lions games. So that's probably why. Uh, he had two receiving touchdowns. I remember one receiving touchdown drop. Uh, <laughs> that is all I, all I remember for Swift. Yeah, so he was 13th in receptions for running backs with 46. Uh, he had 357 receiving yards. He had 7.8 yards per catch. Um, so he's a capable receiver. People were kind of wondering about that with him coming out of college, out of Georgia. He was a really strong pure runner and he was good in the air, but they didn't throw a lot to their backs and it doesn't look like they're going to throw a lot to their backs here. And Jamal Williams is a really good receiver. So it's possible that they could be using him on third downs. So I could definitely see a slump for DeAndre Swift because Jared Goff is not the most effective downfield passer, so uh, you could see a lot of defenses loading the box against the Lions if they decide to try to go run heavy with DeAndre Swift. The one thing you could say about them is that they drafted O-line with Penny Sewell, and they, they could try to just play an ugly game and beat him up on the line of scrimmage, but... 
I unfortunately could definitely see a slump for DeAndre Swift, which is unfortunate because he is very talented and his his numbers closely resemble other very good running backs that I could see making a jump this year on like a per game per carry basis. But just based on the situation he's in, it's it's not looking great. Yeah, I don't think the Lions are going to have to try too hard to make their games look ugly. And <laughs> unfortunately, that probably has the biggest negative effect on Swift. Because if you can't move the ball, you can't run the ball. And if you can't score points and get ahead in games... You really can't run the ball. So this this Lions team is going to be quite an experiment. And I, I feel bad because that, like I mentioned, the one play I remember of Swift was him dropping that touchdown pass. And because that was literally a game-winning touchdown, I'm pretty sure it was week one last year. And that just kind of left a sour taste in everybody's mouth on Swift. And like you said, he he is a pretty good receiving running back. It was just that one play was like just pure lines. <laughs> and then it was just like, oh man, here we go again. <laughs> so uh, Swift is a guy that, oh, if you can find his way to Detroit, man, <laughs> I like him in a lot of other offenses. Which, oh, like the Jets. <laughs> they could use a running back like DeAndre Swift. It's true, but that that's that's all I got on Swift. I'm, I'm sorry he's going to be slumpy. Yeah. So speaking of another guy that was a excellent runner in college and proved to be a good receiving back in the NFL, despite some people's thoughts about that, Jonathan Taylor, uh, for Indianapolis. I uh, didn't do Jonathan Taylor. Because I thought we came to the conclusion that he was good. All right. Uh, just kidding about Jonathan Taylor. We're going to move on to J.K. Dobbins. Uh, he is the running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what are you thinking about J.K. Dobbins? Slump or jump? Uh, well, Dobbins finished as the RB17 in standard last year and the RB23 in PPR. His yards per carry were kind of deceiving. He finished with a six yards per carry, which is fantastic. But I noticed two outliers in his weeks. Week two, he had two attempts for 48 yards. And week five, he had one attempt for 34 yards. And if you exclude those two weeks, he drops down to a 5.5 yard per carry, which is much more realistic. Still pretty good. But the more I looked at it, and looked at the numbers, I I have a feeling that J.K. Dobbins is also going to be in another slump this year. He started playing consistency consistently toward the last nine games of the season. And during that time, he averaged about 12 carries and one reception in those nine games. He never had more than 15 attempts in a game. And during that time, Mark Ingram was already like out of the offense. He only played four of the games in that span. So if you're like, oh, Mark Ingram's out now, J.K.'s probably going to get more touches, get more attempts. It's really not true because he, Mark Ingram was pretty much an afterthought at that point already, and he was still only seeing about 13 touches a game. And the reason he was turning out some really good scores was because in that span he had seven touchdowns. 
So looking at touchdown equity is kind of tough. Like obviously running backs, the, the touchdowns are centered so closely around usually two guys. But when you got a quarterback like Lamar, who is a rushing quarterback, he's going to be sharking some of those rushing touchdowns. And then on top of both of that, they've listed Gus Edwards as a co-starter for the preseason with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Gus Edwards ran for 144 attempts, 723 yards. He had a five yards per carry, and he ran for 16 touchdowns. So he ran he had 10 more attempts than Dobbins did last year. And he signed a two-year, $9 million extension. So they clearly want to keep this guy involved in the offense. And granted, you're not losing much with Mark Ingram, but Gus Edwards produced. And so if they want to go with this two-back sort of dynamic duo, they can really do it. Yeah, I can definitely see them pushing this Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins kind of one-two punch. Um, You said that Gus Edwards had 16 touchdowns last year. I think you meant six. But Gus is a really good running back on like a per-carry basis. So is J.K. Dobbins. But the reason Dobbins was so good in fantasy last year is because of those nine rushing touchdowns. Uh, the, the simple fact is he doesn't get much work in the receiving game. And that's because Lamar's his quarterback. Why check down when you can do it yourself, you know? So he had 18 receptions, 120 yards, 6.7 yards per catch, uh, eight receiving yards per game. It's not really good. So... And, and usually, usually you're seeing that with when you have that third down back, that is the receiving back. That's the guy like, look at JD McKissick. He made a living last year off of that, just being in that role and having all basically a target every single third down. This offense doesn't do that at all. Those third down targets are usually going to a tight end or something across the middle. Exactly. And so Lamar would rather call his own number because he has proven time and time again, that that works. So, uh, Dobbins will be a slump next year. I I agree with that because if that rushing touchdown number comes from nine to six, uh, his fancy totals are going to look a lot worse than they did last year. Uh, he had 805 yards rushing, uh, like you said, that six yards per carry, which is actually about a five and a half. 53 yards per game so zero receiving touchdowns who's only targeted 24 times so i could definitely see a slump out of jk dobbins he'll probably look better on his runs but i don't think his fancy outlook is gonna be much better than this year if not worse and and to make things worse he only seen 17 percent of the team's red zone touches um so that means that most of his touchdowns were coming on probably a 20 plus yard run. So again, you're going to see touchdown regression next year. And if they want to get Gus Edwards more involved, it's definitely a possibility. 
Absolutely. And if we want to talk about touchdown regression, we can move on to our next guy, Antonio Gibson. Uh, what are you thinking about slump or jump for Antonio Gibson? I'm going to push back on that because right. I don't see Antonio Gibson having touchdown regression. I think Antonio Gibson's going to be a jump. He finished last year as the RB12 in standard, 13 in PPR. He had a 4.68 yards per carry with 11 touchdowns, and he only played 13 games. Um, he started 14, uh, but he left week 13 with a toe injury after only two carries. Uh, he, he ran for 20 attempts twice, turning out 128 yards and one touchdown and 115 yards and three touchdowns. Both of those were against Dallas. Brandon Dallas drafted Micah Parsons, who's looking like a pretty good linebacker himself, but you're going to need a lot more to bring down Antonio Gibson, especially if the reports are true that his vision is getting better. That's really dangerous. And then you mentioned touchdown aggression. This guy was a red zone monster last year. He's seen 25% of the team's red zone touches, and he converted 31% of his red zone touches were touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He had 29 touches in the red zone and turned a third of them into a touchdown. He's seen f- overall 41% of the team's rushing red zone touches, which I don't think is going to change at all. And this offense is going to be better. They're going to be moving the ball better. And when you got a guy that's, if you can run it three times anywhere in the red zone, you get three, you get four downs. And if, and if he's going to score on one of three, I, th- I think Antonio Gibson's touchdowns could go up. And I think the same production is going to be there. I mean, Antonio Gibson was a revelation last year for fantasy owners. He was probably a waiver wire pickup and he dominated, uh, especially like in the middle of the season, he went on a a stretch where it was, he was like a a league winner for a little while. Uh, And he had 795 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, which is really good. If you're just going to, hand somebody the ball and he'll get you five yards, especially since it was his first year playing running back. Uh, So it is no surprise to me that his vision is getting better because naturally that's what's going to happen as you play the position more. Um, But what I'm more interested in is that he used to play wide receiver. So I would like to see his receiving numbers go up, but they seem to want to feed J.D. McKissick in that third down role and keep passing to him. And Antonio Gibson could handle a three down role and Ron Rivera runs this offense. You know, he had a guy over in Carolina, (laughs) Christian McCaffrey, who had a three down role. And Antonio Gibson seems to have the skill set to be able to handle a workload like that. But I don't know if 11 rushing touchdowns is going to happen again, but I also don't think zero receiving touchdowns is going to happen again. So if, if we see those targets go up and those receptions go up, uh, I'm sure 6.9 yards per catch will go up and he'll probably get a couple of receiving touchdowns. So I can see Antonio Gibson 
taking a jump, even if he gets less rushing touchdowns, because it seems like he'll be a better running back in general. So you'll have more rush yards. Hopefully they target him more out of the backfield, get some more receptions, get some receiving yards. He'll be a PPR monster. And then he can get some receiving touchdowns under his belt and they can give him a little bit of that CMC role. Uh, that's that's my hope. That's I can see that coming out of Antonio Gibson. I think the sky's the limit. It, yeah, he, he only had 170 attempts last year on the ground. So if you bump that up to 200, 220, 240, 250. Like I said, if this team is good enough, which I think the offense will be good enough, their defense is looking fantastic. And it's going to be good for a long time. Pieces are coming together for this Washington football team. Speaking of 240 attempts, let's go to James Robinson. What do you think about his, his sophomore season coming up? Another guy that was probably a waiver wire pickup that was definitely a league winner last year. Uh, James Robinson finished as the RB7 in both standard and PPR last year. And 240 attempts, 1,070 yards, 60 targets, 49 receptions, 10 total touchdowns. He had seven on the ground, three in the air. This guy turned out... 10 plus PPR fantasy points every single week. I don't think that's happening again. <laughs> James Robinson will 110% be a slump this year just because his overall touches are more most likely to go down. They drafted Trevor Lawrence means the pass game will most likely be improved. Granted Minshew wasn't that bad, but turnovers led them to be getting behind in games and then when that happens like we mentioned a lot of times you go away from the rush not to mention they also drafted Travis Etienne who's looking to be a third down receiving back per Urban Meyer so he did a lot of damage through the air also I mean 49 receptions for a running back is pretty dang good <laughs> it's better than a lot of the a lot of the receivers will be touching on later so I, I think it's pretty obvious that James Robinson will not be a top 10 running back in 2021, let alone a top 15 running back. I have a soft spot for James Robinson. He was my only good player on my expansion team. But yeah, uh, Urban Meyer seems to be playing with everybody's emotions, saying that James Robinson and Carlos Hyde are going to be the one-two punch with Travis Etienne being the third down back. Um, so I don't see you drafting a guy uh, in the late first round if you're going to use him as like a third down gadget guy. It's It doesn't make any sense. Like we mentioned with Clyde. I mean, <laughs> the same thing last year. It is, it's not going to happen. Come on now. Yeah, I can see ETN kind of going in Aaron Jones-esque route where he is just a super explosive, slashing, fast player. And James Robinson can kind of be the dirty Jamal Williams, mud it up, and get the tough yards on the ground. Um, so, obviously, there's going to be a slump here. 
as much as I love James Robinson, there's no way he gets back to these numbers because he he had like 90% of the Jaguars snaps. I think he played more snaps than any quarterback on the Jaguars roster because Minshew got hurt and Luton played and it was it was just a weird year for the Jags and James Robinson was the one constant. Uh it's not going to happen again, but hopefully there's a role for him in this offense because he was really good last year and extremely productive and apparently he's in the best shape of his life like everybody else is during training camp and he had 76 yards per game seven yards per catch so he he's not a slouch when it comes to catching the ball but that that's just not the role they're gonna have him do they're probably just gonna have him be their short yardage gonna hopefully be their red zone guy and maybe he can be like a touchdown vulture for the people that are keeping him on dynasty rosters Hopefully you have some production, but absolutely will not live up to those rookie expectations. And that is because the Jaguars decided to take Travis Etienne instead of improving their roster. So if you're playing redraft and you have to draft either one of these guys between Robinson and Etienne, who do you take? So if I'm in a PPR league, I'm going to take Etienne and I don't play anything other than PPR. So that, that I guess is my answer. But if I was forced to play in a standard league, I'd have no problem taking James Robinson. Cause I think he'll probably end up with more touchdowns, even though ETN was a touchdown machine in college. Yeah. You don't often see a guy finish the same and standard as PPR, which Robinson did. He was seventh in both. So if you're taking away that PPR upside, that's that's tough. That's yeah. tough. Yep. So let's uh, talk about PPR upside and move on to the receivers from last year's draft. We'll start out with the first receiver taken in the 2020 draft with Raiders wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs. He uh, he beat the Jets. Sure did. Yeah, it got me mad. One of his two receiving touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was wide receiver, 88 in standard, 95 in PPR. So just off of that, usually the, <laughs> the only way to go is up. <laughs> this is man's like wide receiver honored. But I'm giving Ruggs a jump. Uh, he's seen 43 targets last year, had 26 receptions for 452 yards. Like I said, two touchdowns. He never seen more than five targets a game, and he never had more than three receptions a game. But now he's being listed as the wide receiver one. And Nelson Aguilar as the Raiders wide receiver one last year, seen pretty much double the production that Ruggs seen had 82 targets, 48 receptions, about 900 yards and eight touchdowns. So if I would say Ruggs has more talent than Nelson Aguilar, uh, he's faster, I would say, and apparently he's put on more weight. And what that allows you to do is work the middle of the field more. 
And so obviously if you're working more of the field, you've got a higher chance of playing more snaps and then obviously you've got a higher chance of getting more targets. So I Ruggs got to jump. And if he doesn't, the Raiders <laughs> are going to kill Darren Waller, try to force feed him the ball. <laughs> when I saw the Raiders drafted Ruggs over like Judy and CD, who were the top two wide receivers in that draft class by consensus, I was confused, but that's kind of what the Raiders do. They just kind of watch the national championship game, and they're like, uh, pick out four Alabama players. Josh and then take those, take those guys on. They drafted Alex Leatherwood this year. <laughs> and they're like, hey, pick out four Alabama players, and those are who we're taking this year. And so they must have been impressed by Henry Ruggs. Uh, and there's only one way to go for Henry Ruggs, and it's up. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Brian Edwards has gotten better, and I haven't seen anything about Henry Ruggs other than it that he's heavier. Um, so we'll see uh, if he can command some more targets with Nelson Aguilar gone. That would be fantastic. He was fourth in targets on the team last year. Like you said, Aguilar had more. Darren Waller obviously had more. And Hunter Renfro had more. So hopefully he jumps Renfro and becomes second in the pecking order because there is zero chance that he jumps Waller. Uh, but last year they kind of used him as a deep threat, um, which you saw pay off a couple times. But the problem was Nelson Aguilar is also a deep threat. So it their roles kind of clashed and Aguilar was better at it even though Ruggs is faster. So we'll see if him and Derek Carr can mesh a little bit and Ruggs can take this jump. I expect him to because he's really talented and he is extraordinarily fast. And so if Carr can uncork some deep balls to him, that'd be great. Pull the defense up with your Josh Jacobs. um, Kenyon Drake. Yeah, Kenyon Drake duo. And uh, Darren Waller underneath and then bust it open over the top with Henry Ruggs. And maybe he can get some more intermediate play with that extra weight that he put on. So I can see Henry Ruggs taking the jump for sure. And the biggest thing is there's no way he's going to have only two touchdowns again. Like someone's got it. You got, like you said, Brian Edwards and then Hunter Renfro. And then I guess John Brown, which I I can't see John Brown commanding many targets. So you'd think that the touchdowns would not regress. What's what's the word? Gress? <laughs> the touchdowns will, regress. We'll get more touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. That's Let's go to his Alabama teammate, Jerry Judy, on the Broncos, a popular breakout candidate. What do you think? I like Judy. I think that he will be another jump guy. He was a wide receiver, 43 in standard, 47 in PPR last year, had 113 targets, 52 receptions. That's a little rough, mainly the quarterback play, but he still turned out. 856 yards, three touchdowns. And the biggest thing for this offense is Cortland Sutton being back. Uh, That will free up Judy. Uh, The defense will be forced to guard both guys. And then 
hopefully if you can get a little more consistent quarterback play that doesn't turn the ball over so much, this offense can stand the field more and Judy will be able to pick him apart with his elite route running and speed. Yeah. Uh, according to pro football focus, Jerry Judy was targeted on a catchable pass on 59% of throws. <laughs> so it's looking like he almost caught all of them yeah. at that point. So so the thing is, he had 10 drops, which was a problem. Uh, so <laughs> if you look at that, that's 62 potential catches that hit his hands out of 113 targets. And if 59% of throws... <laughs> un- <laughs> if 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 forty one percent of throws were uncatchable, I, I'm saying he's uh, he's executing at a pretty good rate. So uh, the biggest issue with Jerry Judy is that his quarterbacks are either Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. I prefer Teddy Bridgewater. Um, he supported Robbie Anderson and kind of DJ Moore last year. Uh, and Mike Davis in the passing game. So I can see him supporting Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I don't know about Noah Fant, and we don't have to get into the whole Broncos offense, but I think Jerry Judy is probably the most talented receiver on the Broncos roster. Uh, I think Sutton commands a lot of attention. He's huge. He's an excellent receiver, and he'll probably be getting more touchdowns because he'll be their red zone guy along with Fant. But Jerry Judy is just surgical with his route running, and he'll cut you up and leave you looking stupid. And so I can see him taking a jump, and he's one of my Ridley guys. And we've had this conversation before where we're like, well, who could be the next Calvin Ridley? where you had Godwin the year before that, and then Ridley last year. Who's going to be the guy that takes that next step into the wide receiver one zone? And I think Judy's my Ridley for this season. Uh, I would say he's a good candidate. I, th- I think there's a really obvious guy in CeeDee Lamb. <laughs> Unless you're already saying CeeDee is the one. With Amari Cooper being hobbled, um, which is why we did not mention CeeDee Lamb, because I think it's a, he's a clear-cut jump candidate. He's being projected as a top-10 wide receiver next year. But yeah, I, I could definitely see it. If they get consistency, whether Drew Locke improves on his accuracy and cuts down the turnovers, or like you said, if Teddy Bridgewater is starting, I, I think... All of those, if he literally could get 10% more catchable passes, he, he's going to he, he's gonna have the separation. So then all it is is catching the ball. <laughs> and then I'm not sure what the yards after catch were for him. But when you're that good of a route runner, like look at Devontae Adams. He's so good at running routes that he's catching the ball in space and then able to make moves in space, which all leads to yards after the catch. And I think Judy is very similar to Devontae Adams in the in how well they run routes. They have sweet feet. Not to mention, Judy's got speed on his side too. So I think he'll be getting open a lot. 
And it's just going to be if the quarterbacks can deliver him the ball. Yeah, uh, Judy's yards after catch um, are going to be a little skewed because I think he had like a 91-yard touchdown where he caught it like five yards downfield. So, yeah, he had a 92-yard touchdown. Uh, So it'll be a little skewed, but he definitely can make people miss. And like I said, he'll make a few people look stupid next year. Uh, talking about making people look stupid, uh, Jalen Rager was drafted at the 112 in rookie drafts last year, and, uh, everybody that did that is looking stupid this year. Uh, do you think he takes a jump? No! I, uh, I, I had some, some very, very close looks at Jalen Rager last year. He is a part of my team. You have not heard very good things coming out of camp from him, for starters. Uh, I guess he failed his initial conditioning test, which is awful. Um, <laughs> he was he was kind of hobbled last year. Uh, he's on and off the field at points. He, he finished as the wide receiver 90 in standard, 92 in PPR. He had 54 targets, 31 receptions, 396 yards, and one touchdown. He did also have a punt return for a touchdown against the Packers. He only played 10 games, and he only had five receptions or less in every game. He commanded a strong 9.6% of their target share last year, and they drafted Devontae Smith. Jalen Rager. It was the best headline I seen was disappointing end to a disappointing season for Jalen Rager. I'm all out. I don't like the Eagles offense. Jalen Hurts averaged, I think, about 37 pass attempts per game when he was the starter. And if you're getting 10% of the target shares, that's three receptions or three targets. So I I don't like Rager. I think he's big, stinky, big slump. I don't like Philly. Um, That's the only reason I'm turned off on Devontae Smith. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Jalen Rager was fifth in targets on Philadelphia. Uh, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham, Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard. All commanded more targets in him. Uh, to be fair, he only played 11 games. He was hampered most of the season. He had a very good 12.8 yards per catch. Uh, he only had 36 yards per game because he didn't get thrown the ball very much. Rager is apparently moving back into the slot where he feels more comfortable because Devontae Smith got brought into Philly. So we'll have... Devontae Smith, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, Zach Ertz, Goddard, Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders. It sounds like a good offense, but I just can't see Jalen Hurts supporting that many fantasy assets. So he knows Devontae Smith. They played together. I'm sure Devontae will be the wide receiver one for that offense. I can't see Jalen Rager doing very well i'm sure he'll be better than he was last year hopefully he'll play 17 games 
And if he plays 17 games, his numbers should be better. That's all. Based on his conditioning <laughs> coming in, it's it's not looking like he's taking the health part very seriously. I I am out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We can move on to a wide receiver who was drafted four spots after Jalen Rager in the 2020 draft, and that is Brandon Ayuk of the San Francisco 49ers. This one was probably the hardest for me. So all I put was ump. He was the wide receiver 33 in standard last year, the wide receiver 35 in PPR. 96 targets, 60 receptions, 748 yards, five touchdowns. He also had six rushing attempts for 77 yards and two touchdowns. He played only 12 games. And then just overall, the roster, Jimmy G, Debo, George Kittle, all missed a lot of the year. So it's really difficult to gauge what this offense looks like when everybody is healthy. And I'm sure that it's literally Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle are going to be the source of all receptions. But Kittle's close to a thousand yard receiver every year. He commands a lot of targets and Debo looked really good, but he couldn't stand the field. So it's, it's really hard to say whether he's going to make a significant jump or he's going to move back. I mean, I would think with, Jimmy G or Trey Lance, the offense is going to be better than it was with Mullen. CJ Beathard? Beathard? Yeah, I, they had multiple quarterbacks last year that just were not very good. <laughs> it's unfortunately, San Francisco was the team from hell last year. They had so many injuries. But when Ayuk was on the field, he was making plays. I think he had seven weeks where he had 18 or plus PPR points. So it was like, he was a guy where if you got the ball in his hands, he, he can make a play. Six, six rushing attempts for 77 yards, 12 or two touchdowns is like one of those guys that he's kind of like a gadget guy, but he is a true wide receiver. I think that when you've got guys like Debo and Kittle in the lineup, defenses have to stay honest. No one's going to be able to, you know, double cover anybody. And if anybody is getting double covered, it's going to be Kittle. So I, this one was too hard for me. I, I, I could see him finishing as the wide receiver 33 again, or I could see him in the twenties around there. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be very similar. Yeah. Um, it was also complicated for me because it's like, He's going to be having better quarterback play. I think he's the most talented wide receiver on the 49ers. George Kittle coming back can be a good and bad thing for him because, like you said, Kittle will be demanding most of the attention. Uh, Shanahan is uses Debo because he's like a thicker wide receiver. He's a better runner than Ayuk is. So Ayuk probably won't get those rushing touches that he was so efficient on last year. 
but I also could see Shanahan saying, hey, Ayuk was so good last year that he's going to get more of these touches. So it's really just going to be dependent completely on whether or not Shanahan prefers Debo or Brandon Ayuk. And I think Ayuk is the better athlete and is a more talented receiver, but Debo has produced every time he's been on the field too. So it's totally a toss up for me. I agree. I don't think he's going to be a slump or a jump. So I I can see him finishing just about where he's at right now. I like Ayuk and I would be buying Ayuk, but I don't think he's going anywhere. I would say he's a wide receiver too. Just solid. Solid wide receiver too. I, I think him and Debo will turn out very similar seasons numbers wise. I, I don't think there's going to be like a focused to feature one of them over the other uh, because Kittle is that focused player on offense and not to mention this team is always good at running the ball. So when you've got play action hitting that usually opens up a receiver more and that's why it's much more efficient of an offense, especially when you've got the really good runners. So I think he's just going to be good. I don't think he's going to be spectacular. I don't think he's going to be bad, but I think he's going to be very serviceable. Speaking of wide receiver twos, uh, the wide receiver two on Cincinnati's roster, T Higgins got bumped down by Jamar Chase. Do you think this bodes well for him? I don't really think it's much of a, like issue uh, just a depth chart is a depth chart most of the time two wide receivers are going to be on the field no matter what now if they said ty boyd jumped him then you would pause for concern but t higgins showed flashes last year he finished as the wide receiver 28 in both standard and ppr he had 108 targets 67 receptions 908 yards six touchdowns Obviously, when you draft a guy like Jamar Chase, he's going to command a good target share. But I would think that Boyd is the odd man out in that situation, not T. Higgins. T. Higgins was really good at working the sidelines last year. And from all reports out of camp, Chase has been struggling with certain things and Higgins has been improving. And so if you get Burrow behind an improved offensive line and they're still throwing the ball 45 plus times a game, I think T. Higgins can still produce even if he's listed as the wide receiver too. So I, I gave him a jump. He was kind of another guy that it's going to be very similar to the numbers I think last year. Like I, I would be shocked if he cracked a thousand yards receiving but I could see the offense being better and I could see the touchdown equity going up. He is an interesting situation because he probably was the best wide receiver on Cincinnati last year. Tyler Boyd eclipsed him in targets by two. Uh, T Higgins had 108 targets. Tyler Boyd had 110. Um, T cashed in 67 of those for receptions for 908 yards. So he's close to that 1,000 mark. And I think we have to take into account that there's going to be that 17th game. And there's a high chance that he could break that ceiling. 
And I heard a quote from him where he's like, yeah, I want 1K. That's that's my goal. That's that's what I want to do. So it, if he's determined to get that and him and Joe Burrow have a connection where Burrow can kind of use him as the intermediate guy where Jamar can make the big plays, then I, I think T. Higgins could have an excellent season. I have him jumping as well. Uh, I think he was a steal in rookie drafts last year. Him being tied to Joe Burrow, as long as Joe Burrow can be confident next year and support a couple of receivers like he did last year, but I don't see them leading in many games. So they're probably going to be tossing the rock quite a bit, and I think T. Higgins will be one of the main beneficiaries to that. So T. Higgins getting the jump from me. I, doing my research for this segment, uh, did you know that I had T. Higgins at one point? I think I did too. It's true. I traded him to you. <laughs> Guess who I traded him to you for? Who? Jalen Rager. <laughs> Shout out to me. I said you T. Higgins and A.J. Green for Rager. Uh, that was another thing that just got me mad as I was looking up stuff for this. <laughs> but yeah, T. Higgins, he's a big wide receiver even though you're kind of going to be seeing Jamar Chase touted as their, like, big playmaker. T. Higgins is 6'4", 216. He's not a small guy, and he has extremely good sideline awareness. You saw a lot of plays last year. You mentioned it earlier that he was working the sidelines, but he was making some incredible contested toe-tap sideline catches, Burrow can trust him on the sides and in the back of the end zone. I know he can trust Jamar Chase, too, because he did it in 2019. But Chase hasn't played football in a year. So it's it's not like you can just walk into the NFL after taking a year hiatus and be good and be an all-pro whatever Jamar Chase expects to be as like the consensus 101 in PPR like Dynasty Leagues. So I think T. Higgins is going to be the most productive receiver on the Bengals. I don't think Jamar Chase is going to hurt his value. I think he's going to help his value. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to other guys that we mentioned. That You've got Judy. you got Cortland Sutton. I think both will produce. you got T. Higgins. you got Jamar Chase. You know, a lot of these offenses that we've been talking about have that second wide receiver. And for the most part, you're not going to see one take over the other in any dramatic way that I there's more than enough passes going around in that Bengals offense that they'll be fine. We can move to a situation that there might not be more than enough passes going around. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., on the Indianapolis Colts. He was taken 34th overall last year. He's being taken around 204 in 12-team rookie drafts last year. 
what do you what do you think? P- Pittman taking a jump, or is he gonna regress? I think Pittman takes a jump. I think that he's looking like the number one receiver on this team. T.Y. Hilton's getting old, and his numbers have been, you know, going down these last two years. The other competitions like Zach Pascal, Paris Campbell, guys that have been with the team. But he he was the wide receiver 84 last year in standard and 79 in PPR. So he's in that kind of uh, Henry Ruggs-ish range. Uh, but he had much more respectable numbers from a, a targets to receptions standpoint. He had 61 targets, 40 receptions, 503 yards, only one touchdown. And an, another rookie that was hurt and only played 13 games. But he was their lead receiver in their playoff loss to the Bills. I think he had five receptions for 90 yards. And it, he's another big receiver that can work the middle of the field. And you've seen that against Green Bay last year where he he caught like it was a skinny post, caught it and then broke a couple tackles and then took it to the house. So he's a guy that's not afraid to get hit going across the middle and he's pretty reliable. And this team needs a a number one. And I think Pittman can walk into that role this year. So I, I like him to take a jump this year. I agree. I feel like. He is the right person to take that number one rollover. The only problem is the question marks around Wentz's health, which has already started, because if we have a Sam Ellinger or a Brett Hundley or a Jacob Eason situation, uh, I mean, Pittman's obviously going to suffer. On top of that, their run game is fantastic. So if they don't have to go away from their run game with JT and Hines and Marlon Mack and so on and so forth, I don't think they will. I uh, can definitely see him taking over the lead targets on this team because T.Y. Hilton and Pascal out-targeted him last year, but... I can't see him only getting 61 targets next season. Uh, I can't see T.Y. Hilton getting more targets than him, and I can't see Pascal seeing more targets than him. So Pittman should definitely jump, and he's a value right now wherever you can get him. In redraft right now, he's being taken as a wide receiver 46. He's uh, 108 overall, so that can show you how much people are discounting his production next season. But I can definitely see him taking a jump because there's a lot of targets to be had and he should be the go-to kind of target hog guy there because T.Y. is not there anymore and Pascal doesn't really profile as that, in my opinion. Yeah, I would expect to see that target shift where T.Y. was more around 90, Pittman was around 60. I would expect to see that flip. I'd expect Pittman to see closer to the 80s, 90s, 100 targets, and then probably churning out, you know, 60, 70 receptions on the year. Probably around 700 yards, and you hope that that touchdown equity can go up. But like you said, if Wentz can't stay healthy, it's 
probably going to be a tough year for the Colts offense in general. Uh, their their defense is pretty good. When you got Darius Leonard, you can get other teams off the field and get your offense back on the field. But if that offense can't sustain drives, it's going to be difficult for wide receivers to produce. You could kind of see the value hit that all of the Colts took when they said that Carson Wentz might be down for five to 12 weeks. JT got dropped down, I think, five spots uh, in ADP, and obviously Pittman took a huge hit, and I don't think anybody's really drafting T.Y. Hilton in general, but especially if Wentz is down, there's no love for him. I, I definitely agree. If Wentz is there, Pittman's taking a jump. I agree. I think it's simple as that. Speaking of a guy that should take a jump with a new quarterback, LaVisca Chenault. What do you think? Oh, Chenault. Being in this Jags offense, they used him kind of as a gadget guy last year. His wide receiver 15 standard, 45 in PPR. He had 79 targets, 58 receptions for 600 yards and five touchdowns. And they got him 18 rushing attempts for 91 yards. Again, the guy only played 14 games, but he has reported to have a good rapport with Trevor Lawrence, which is prime when you've got a rookie quarterback. And they're saying that he could kind of be more of the safety blanket for Lawrence, running more of the shorter to intermediate routes that he could find himself leading the team in targets if that is the case. And they like to move him around the formation Kind of like Ayuk, they like to just find ways to get him the ball, get the ball in his hands, and let him make a play. So I like Chenault to take a jump just because I expect this offense to be better in general. Agreed. The only problem I can see with Chenault's role is ETN stepping into a similar role that we kind of want LaVisca to fill. We, we want LaVisca to be this gadget guy that's getting like, the swing passes, the screens, the drags, to get that rack that he can get. Um, But if Trevor is so used to having ETN as his safety blanket because he played with him in college, then those targets might not always go to LaVisca, and they might end up going to ETN. So that could be a problem that they might run into, they meaning LaVisca managers, because it'll be good for the Jags regardless. When it comes down to it, it seems like he's the best player on the Jaguars from all of the news. Uh, It sounds like Urban Meyer really likes him. Uh, He's gotten better since last year. I really like him. He got out-targeted only by DJ Chark and Keelan Cole last year. Keelan Cole's not on the team anymore. So the only person that's stepping in that could threaten his target share is Travis Etienne. So if that doesn't happen, LaVisca is going to take a jump, and I definitely expect him to take that jump. Yep, I completely agree. So we'll move on to Chase Claypool. Um, He was a fantastic boom or bust receiver last year 
Uh, he was the 49th pick of last year's draft to Pittsburgh. What do you think about him? Just when you look at a guy and you see such a big split between their standard position and their PPR position, it basically comes down to one thing, and that is touchdowns. So Claypool in standard was a wide receiver 16. And in PPR, he was the wide receiver 24 last year. So the 109 targets, 62 receptions, 873 yards, all really good. But what put him over the top was he had the four touchdown game against the Eagles week five last year. 11 targets, seven receptions, 110 yards, three touchdowns. And then they gave him three rushing attempts for a touchdown. So he had 11 total touchdowns last year, nine through the air, two through the ground. And that's everything's pointing to that regressing. They drafted Najee Harris. So odds are this won't be the number one passing offense again next year. So just in general, receivers production will probably go down a little. So that sucks for Deontay Johnson, Juju and Claypool. And then he only had five games with more than four receptions and he only had 200 yard games. And that Pittsburgh offense was, like I said, the number one passing offense. They were throwing the ball two yards on third down because they couldn't rely on a running back to get two yards because their offensive line was so bad. So hopefully these young legs and Najee Harris can still be able to produce with such a bad old line, but big Ben was tailing at the end of last year. I just, it, it's very unlikely that he's going to be a top 20 wide receiver in standard this year. Yeah, I can definitely see a sophomore slump from Claypool. Uh, he's an athletic freak, and he is kind of the only deep threat on the Steelers. And that's kind of how they used Claypool last year uh, as their deep threat, and that's why he had that huge game against the Eagles because they kept uncorking the deep ball against that awful Eagles secondary. I can see defenses leveraging against Claypool a little more to prevent those big games and – He'll probably stay as a boom-bust guy, and he he's not going to do what he did last year. It, it just isn't really realistic to have those 11 touchdowns with the target share that he's going to have. He had 109 targets last year, and that was third on the team. That's ridiculous because Deontay obviously was first because Big Ben loved throwing those short passes to Deontay. Juju second, and then Claypool third with 109. If they plan on using Najee as their bell cow, which all signs are pointing that way, there's not really a clear path to Claypool doing anything like this next year. Uh, he'll be solid, but I don't think you can rely on him to be a, like a week-in, week-out starter on your on your fantasy team. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Will Fuller, where Will Fuller just randomly has that game where he has three catches for 150 yards and three touchdowns. And that was kind of the same production you've seen out of Claypool last year. He, he didn't really 
command a bunch of high target games. It was three, four receptions, but one was a bomb and he scored on it. So I'm good on Claypool. No offense. Like good <laughs> good guy, but I'm all right. Yeah. Speaking of catching bombs, moving on to Darnell Mooney, who's apparently worked on his deep routes and his rapport with Justin Fields sounds like it's fantastic. Uh, what are you thinking about Darnell Mooney going into year two? I think this is another good Ridley candidate. Mooney will take a huge jump this year. I think you could see him in the top 25 easily. He finished as wide receiver 55 in standard last year, 50 in PPR. The sneaky 98 targets, 61 receptions. 631 yards, four touchdowns. And now with the Anthony Miller trade going through, he's the clear-cut wide receiver two behind Allen Robinson. Maybe even the wide receiver one in two years when Robinson leaves. And with Miller gone, that opens up 76 targets from what Miller had last year. And Mooney already has a 16.5% target share. On this offense. So if it isn't going to Allen Robinson, it's going to Mooney. <laughs> like, I know the Bears always like using tight end too. And Jimmy Graham, God forbid, is still there. That's going to be stealing red zone touchdowns. But you got Mooney, who is turning into another one of the best route runners in the league. The man has been getting better at his intermediate and downfield route running. So I would expect to see his depth of target increase from 11.4 yards that it was last year. And I would expect to see his target share to go up. And I would expect to see him have probably 120-ish targets next year. I, th- I think if this offense starts clicking and they go to fields earlier, don't like to say this, but I think the Bears could start getting scary. Unfortunately, it looks like the Bears are doing some things right. Justin Fields apparently looks like a star in the making. You see the clips of him making some ridiculous throws. And next year, Mooney's going to be on the receiving end of a lot of those throws. I watched a reel of last season, Darnell Mooney just absolutely making people look like they're standing in cement and burning them and then getting overthrown by Nick Foles. Or <laughs> and it, I, Justin Fields is an excellent deep route thrower. So he doesn't just have a big arm. He has the touch, and he can put it on somebody with accuracy down the field. And that's what Mooney needs to take this next step into what could be, like, stardom. Like, legitimate stardom. Yeah. He, apparently, his route running's gotten even better from last year. And his, last year, he was, like, just ridiculous so a thing of beauty yeah it's hard to watch and be like ah this guy's gonna be okay like it, Mooney looks like 
very good player. I hope Darius isn't listening because I'm going to try to trade for him tonight. Hey, me too. Um, so I, I'm going jump on Darnell Mooney, if that was clear. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I got what you were <laughs> You're going. That completes our list for our sophomore slumps or jumps. If you want to go over them real quick, we can do that. So Joe Burrow, you have a jump for, and I said he will probably go through a slump. Tua, we both said jump. Clyde is a jump from both of us. Swift will be a slump from both of us. Dobbins is sounding like a slump. Yep. Gibson is a jump. James Robinson is a slump. Ruggs has to be a jump. (laughs) Nowhere else but up. Uh, Judy is jumping. Rager, I think we agreed it's a slump. <laughs> yes, yes. Ayuk, uh, staying put. Yep. T. Higgins is a jump, I believe. Yep. Pittman was a jump. LaVisca should be a jump. Claypool is looking slumpish. And Mooney is our jump. Yep. So that is our sophomore slumps and jumps uh, that will conclude this part of the podcast. And now we are entering into the heat check portion of our podcast. I I came prepared this time. I like that. Let's hear it. (laughs) All right. My heat check is that Urban Meyer should already be fired. (laughs) We touched on it a little earlier, but. Since his hiring, (laughs) he started off in February by hiring a racist strength and conditioning coach in Chris Doyle, who then was forced to resign the next day. At minicamp, he worked out ETN with the wide receivers. They brought in Tim Tebow. He hasn't left. As a tight end. Tim Tebow is 33, and he hasn't played in the league since 2012. Has it been that long? It has been nine years. Jesus Christ! Is on an NFL field. He only played two full years. (laughs) It only one year was a full-time starter, and then he's like. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, he's not our starter yet. You know, there's a competition between Lawrence and Minshew. That's not what you want to say when you have a rookie quarterback that you drafted. One overall. (laughs) And then, like we mentioned, saying that James Robinson and Carlos Hyde (laughs) will be co-starters at running back. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he's going to kill Trevor Lawrence's career within the first four weeks. And and I think he should already be on the hot seat. And I hope he doesn't make it through the season before something devastating happens to this team. So that's my heat check. 
Get Urban, Urban Meyer, Meyer gone. <laughs> Urban Meyer on the hot seat in preseason week one before the Jags have played a game. 100%. <laughs> Get him out of here. Okay, I, I like that because Urban Meyer has been grinding my gears since day one. Uh, they were going to take Kadarius Tony. also. He wanted him bad. And that's why they ended up taking Travis Etienne because they're like, ah, this can work, I guess. Instead of <laughs> Canarius Tony. Uh, so yeah, I I I vote yes on <laughs> Urban Meyer getting out of town, and uh, you can send Travis Etienne with him. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's not ETS fault. Come on. <laughs> I know. I I just love me some James Robinson. <laughs> Alright, so my my heat check, it it's not the hottest I've had, but the Jets are gonna suck this year. <laughs> so I everybody had confidence in the Jets. They're like, oh, they brought in these good receivers. They brought in the right coach. They got a good offensive coordinator. They're going to be running this Shanahan system. They brought in the quarterback that they wanted with Zach Wilson. So on, so forth. They're doing all the right things. Guess what? They're, They're going to suck. suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're the Jets. Zach Wilson has looked bad in camp. Their offensive line has looked bad in camp. Carl Lawson is apparently J.J. Watt 2.0. Because he's destroying Mackay Becton over and over again in these drills. And Zach Wilson came out in an interview. They asked him about the interceptions he's been throwing in these drills. And he's like, I'm just seeing what I can do. What I can get away with in practice. You know, it's not a game. I'm just, just you know, trying some things out. Seeing what windows I can squeeze the ball into. All right, Zach Wilson, how about you try to throw to open receivers and, like, complete passes instead of trying to throw interceptions to see what you can get away with, <laughs> all right? If if the DB's there, it's not open. You're in the NFL. You're not at BYU anymore. I'm sorry to say it, okay? This guy should not have been drafted, too, because Justin Fields was the second-best quarterback in the draft. Trey Lance was a better pick, okay? The Jets are uh, a bad franchise and they're going to stay bad. I hate to say it. They picked the wrong guy at quarterback. The Broncos also should have taken Justin Fields. I could just turn this into a Justin Fields heat check because I'm mad that the Bears have him because the Jets should have taken him, the Niners should have taken him, and the Broncos should have taken him, and the Patriots should have traded up and taken him because all of those would have been way more fun than the Bears having him. That's all I got. Yeah. This is why we say every player should go to the Jets. Because <laughs> I almost feel bad for Robert Sala. Because <laughs> picking up the dumpster fire that Adam Gase left, there's still some remnants. And yeah, I don't like Zach Wilson either. And Denzel Mims? Apparently... <laughs> Sorry, I'm going back in. Denzel Mims, he was like, oh, yeah, Denzel Mims is working with the fourth team. No, he actually had food poisoning from eating, like, <laughs> bad salmon. 
And so he had to go to the hospital and he lost 20 pounds and couldn't go to any OTAs because he got so messed up from this food poisoning. So not only is your rookie quarterback apparently really bad in practice, but also your second year receiver who's supposed to be like one of your cornerstone X players and can't even show up because he ate bad salmon. Bro, you can afford to go anywhere. You live in New York. Get some good salmon, bro. I don't know what you're eating bad salmon for. Come on. Oh, man. <laughs> well, on that note, I say we wrap it up. <laughs> I hope everybody has a great week. Thank you for listening to the Firestarters podcast, and we will see you next Saturday. Doses. Oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I had...